Hello, readers. Coming up, it's my conversation with Rosa Brooks on Tangled Up in Blue. First, though, wanted to let you know that if you enjoy any of my conversation with the author enough to want to buy the book, I've made it easy for you. Just click on the title through the episode description, however you listen to podcasts, and it takes you to a link to buy the book through bookshop.org. Now, they don't pay me to say this, but I love bookshop.org because it connects readers with independent bookstores. And for the latest on this podcast, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Books on Pod. I'm Frank Figluzzi, the author of The FBI Way, Inside the Bureau's Code of Excellence. You're listening to Books on Pod with Trey Elling. Hello, readers. Rosa Brooks is a law professor at Georgetown, where she founded the school's innovative policing program. She's also the author of How Everything Became War and the Military Became Everything, Her newest book, based on her time as a reserve police officer with the Washington, D.C. Metropolitan Police Department, is titled Tangled Up in Blue, Policing the American City. Rosa, thank you for the time. How are you doing today? My pleasure. Thanks so much, Trey. So, Rosa, you're a longtime law professor, contributor to newspapers and websites across the country, and a published author. So why did you decide you wanted to be a reserve member of the D.C. Metro Police Department back in 2016? Well, if you asked my family that question, they would tell you that I'm just crazy. (laughs) You know, um, I've always been really fascinated by the relationship between law and violence and the ways in which different groups of people, you know, the stories they tell to try to make sense of violence and decide, you know, what kinds of violence are okay, what kind of violence is not okay. So when I found out that DC has this amazing and amazingly strange program that will let volunteers apply to become sworn armed unpaid cops, I thought, oh, that's so fascinating. You know, just a a chance to see the very closed culture of policing and be on the inside and, and see how cops make sense of their roles. You started your training through the D.C. Police Academy in 2016. There's obviously a lot of talk going on right now with regard to policing and the initial and continual training that they receive. What did the initial training get right when you were going through it and what did they get wrong? Oh, I think that and I I, I should start out by saying that the training academy in D.C. has actually changed a good deal even in the, the four and a half years since I left. But it got more wrong than it got right. I I think the whole country was talking about policing and race and policing and violence and policing while I was going through the DC Police Academy. And the one place that nobody was talking about those issues was the DC Police Academy, where, you know, we we could easily have been going through the academy, you know, 15 years earlier. uh, We were just, we were learning how how you put handcuffs on a prone person versus a sitting person versus a standing person. We were memorizing lists of property forms and nobody was talking about the, the big issues like what's policing for and how do we know if it's what's good policing? And how do we know it? Um, you know, what about race and policing that we weren't having those conversations? What we were learning and I and I talk about this a lot in the book, the lesson that was kind of drilled into us Um, was, you know, anybody could kill you at any time. And we were constantly watching these videos of police officers getting killed on the job, being shot at and run over and stabbed and talking about how they could have behaved differently tactically to avoid that. 
And our instructors would say, there's, you know, there's no such thing as a routine call. And, and that's both obviously totally true, um, but also really misleading because the vast majority of Americans are not trying to kill police. Even the people you arrest are not trying to kill you. Um, and if you go about your business as a cop, convinced that everybody is a millisecond away from pulling out a weapon and shooting you, you know, you're going to be tempted to shoot first yourself and ask questions later. And, and we see the results of that, which is a lot of a lot of dead people. Did you feel prepared to be a cop when you graduated from the academy? <laughs> Not really. Um, and I think it's probably inevitably true that you learn more on the job in, in a sense that no matter how many times you, you practice something, you, you role play it or, or you, you know, you take a test on it. It's really different when you're you're out there doing it, and the experience. I've got to say, the experience was pretty pretty humbling, right? I mean, I'm a law professor. I'm I'm pretty smart, uh, you know. And I was in my 40s. A lot of the police officers I trained with and worked with were in their early 20s, and I thought, how hard could this be? You know, if they can do it. I can do it. But it was. It's incredibly difficult. It's it's you know you have to know the law. You have to know the departments policies, you've got to know how to do, you know, work all your equipment, like your, you know, your mobile data terminal to write reports, which never works properly. You've got to know how to handle people. You've not, not got to know how to handle difficult situations. It's really hard to do. You were responsible for District 7, which is one of the poorest amongst D.C.'s seven districts, and it's mostly inhabited by African-Americans. Why are communities like this so often subjected to over-policing, Rosa? You know, I think it's 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 a complicated issue and it's got a couple of different pieces. You know, one piece of it and and this is a huge piece is that in our society we have we have criminalized so much completely trivial behavior, trivial forms of misbehavior. Uh and so as a result cops in DC as in many American cities arrest an astonishing number of people for unbelievably trivial offenses, you know, open container of alcohol in public, you know, minor forms of disorderly conduct, you know, minor assaults between former roommates, which get defined as domestic assaults and trigger mandatory arrest rules. You're driving with a suspended license. You know, we we, we over-criminalize and we, we over-arrest and surprise, surprise, a lot of what has been over-criminalized in our society are the types of minor offenses committed by the very poor, you know, that when when rich white collar people commit crimes, they're they're often doing it behind closed doors and it's they're harder to find. Um, so that's one piece of it. But the other piece of it, and I think this does sometimes get lost in in, you know, debates about policing, is that it's demand driven. You know, police go where there are 911 calls and very poor communities and poor communities of color often do have high crime rates and police are often needed and there by request as well. And I, and I think we've seen some of that coming out in the sort of the defund police debates that for every every member, you know, every resident of a poor community you meet who says, I hate the police, they're like an occupying force, I want them out. You'll meet somebody else who says, no, I really would like a patrol car on my block. It makes me feel a lot safer. And, and, and so, I, so I think it's, it's a lot more complicated than it looks from the outside. You believe the main occupational hazard of policing isn't assault or injury, but cynicism. Is a lot of what you just talked about what plays into this cynicism that continues to fester over time? 
I, I think part, the biggest driver of that cynicism is that almost by, by definition, you know, people don't call 911 to say, hey, great news, you know, my kid got straight A's and we're, we're having a party to celebrate, come on over. You know, people, you know, people call the police when something horrible is happening. Um, you know, they call the police because they've been robbed, they've been beaten, they're, they're, they walk into their apartment, it's been ransacked, you know, somebody's been stabbed, their kid is missing. Uh, you know, they're in the middle of a huge fight with someone and you see people at their worst, um, again, just pretty much by definition. And it can it can give officers this sense of everybody here is a mess. Everybody here is a criminal. Everybody here is a mess. And that's obviously not true. That's just the little tiny slice of the community that you're seeing, you're not seeing all of the people who aren't calling the police because things are fine. And I think that can make cops really, really cynical. And, and it's, it's, it can be really toxic. It can lead to a lot of abusive behavior. And, and it's very, and it's very hard to address that. It's not all negative though. You do admit that the job provides a thrill. What's the thrill? <laughs> you know, I'm, First of all, I've got to admit I'm I'm kind of nosy. Um, so I found it just sort of fascinating to get this glimpse into people's lives, um, you know. And when they're upset and they're angry, they talk to you in ways that they wouldn't talk to you otherwise. You know, whether it's out of anger at you or they're they're so emotional, they're talking about their family, they're talking about their lives, and just out of sheer nosiness, I I, I find that I you know I'm always just really interested in in learning about people's lives, but. But it's also, you know, you, you see a side of the city that most people don't see. And I, I think of it as the, the secret city, especially I would often patrol at night. And most people are asleep and uh, they forget that there's this, the life of the city is going on, you know, in the emergency rooms and security guards, uh, you know, the maintenance on the metro rail system is taking place in the middle of the night so it won't disrupt your commute. You know, and if you're a cop, you're seeing all that. You're seeing the road accidents at three in the morning and you're walking through the, the Smithsonian Museum at 2 a.m. because you're looking for a bathroom and it's the only place with a bathroom and you're walking through these empty galleries. And it's just, it, it was just kind of fascinating. It's, it's a glimpse of a world that most of us don't see. Something that has been brought up more since the terrible tragedy of George Floyd's murder last summer is that police may need more continual training to better understand how to approach and handle these ever-evolving scenarios that pop up on the job. Did you receive continual training? And if so, was it valuable information and preparation? Um, yes and no. I mean, in D.C., as in most cities, police officers are required to have a certain number of hours of professional development training each year. Um, I think it's, you know, 40 plus hours. The quality was enormously varied and, you know, the quality of the instructors at the academy is enormously varied. And, and as I said, there, there have been some real positive changes, but a, a little too often the training is a kind of a PowerPoint, you know, death by PowerPoint, you know, delivered by somebody just droning through it um, and nobody's paying attention, uh, you know, that that I do think that, you know, it's interesting, my, my husband, um, recently retired army officer and I spent a lot of my time uh, writing about the military and I worked at the defense department for a while. In the military, the the trainers, you know, ranger instructors, uh, drill sergeants, those are incredibly competitive jobs to get. You have to be the best to get those jobs. 
um, because the military recognizes rightly that you want the cream of the crop teaching teaching the new generation. And in policing too much of the time, you know, again, not always, there are one, there are exceptions in really positive ways, but, but too often the instructors at the academy are people who are about to retire and they're bored out of their minds or they're people with so many civilian complaints against them that they can't be out on the street anymore because they're a danger to the community and they, they park them at the academy. You know, that, that training has, I think, in many police departments has really been an afterthought. It's treated as a very perfunctory way uh, and that's that's just a crying shame because you know good good training having good trainers and good training can really transform a department. What do you think makes a bad cop? Uh, you know, <laughs> there are two answers to that. You know, there are people who are just bullies and jerks. There are people who like having power, um, and those people should not be cops. Um, but the other answer to that is that. We have a criminal justice system that is bad itself in so many ways. It's it, you know, it it replicates the entrenched racism in so much of our society. We, you know, as I said, we've we've overcriminalized so many trivial things. Um, you know, it's overly punitive in all kinds of dumb ways, um, and that means that even a good cop is a bad cop a lot of the time. You know that. That normal good policing, often by the time the cops get there, all of the choices for the police are bad choices. And so, you know, even decent cops end up being part of some pretty bad, bad things because that's the system that they're working in. What a level-headed answer there. So were you a good cop or a bad cop then? <laughs> I think I was on my best days. I was an okay cop. Um, you know, I... I as I said, it was really humbling. I, I really did. It's extraordinarily hard because we ask police to do, you know, 17 contradictory things. We want them to be warriors and protectors and medics and mediators and social workers, you name it. And almost nobody can do any one of those things really well. And nobody can do all of them really well. And you add into that a, a, bureaucracy and a criminal justice system that itself, you know, has all kinds of, of terrible laws and policies. And it's very, very hard to be a police officer and feel like you are, you're getting it right all the time. You mentioned defunding the police a little bit earlier. That's obviously a very charged sentiment in these times. What does defunding the police mean to you? And is it a viable part of the solution here? You know, I think the language is kind of unfortunate because, you know, you say to a cop, we want to defund the police and, and they, they'll say, you know, look around me, look at the 7th District Station, you know, where the computers are broken and the bathrooms are dirty and the toilets don't work, you know, and my phone is eight years old. Um, defund the police? You know, we're already operating on a shoestring. They're not wrong. Um, but you ask them a very different question, say to them, how many times have you been in a situation where you felt like I can't I can't be effective in this situation because the social services that I need to help me aren't there for me? You know, that I'm dealing with a a, a mentally ill person who who's behaving badly because they they need help, but there's no system to put them in. You know, or I'm dealing with behavior, the criminal behavior that's driven by drug addiction, but there are no rehab opportunities, you know, or shoplifting that's driven by poverty and hunger. 
but there are no job creation programs and not enough food banks. You know, if you say that to cops and say, do you think that cities should invest more in creating those social services? They say, oh my God, yes. You know, my job would be so much easier. My job would be, would be, you know, this community would be so much better off. So I think there actually is a tremendous amount of potential common ground if you can get past the defund and instead talk about, you know, what are the kinds of investments that we ought to be making to make our community safer, that, that you do get a lot of agreement between police and critics of policing. So based on that, then, last question, are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future of policing in America? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm an optimist. Um, I think actually the invasion of the Capitol on January 6th showcased policing both at its worst and at its best in a way that is going to help open up some of these conversations about policing, about, you know, here are the things that are wrong with policing that cops can change, you know, they can change training and so on. Here are the things about policing that can't be changed by police, that have to be changed by legislators, by prosecutors, by judges, by all of us. And, and, and you know, I think that's the conversation that we, we need to be having, the look in the mirror conversation. You know, if, 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 if our conversation about police boils down to fights between people who say cops are heroes and people who say cops are racist thugs, we're, we're just never going to get anywhere. But if we're prepared, and I think maybe we're a little closer to that than we were even six months ago, if we're prepared to have conversations that say, you know, this isn't all good or all bad, this is messy and complicated, but let's really break it down and try to figure out what, what different players in the system can change. I think we can get somewhere. Well, you're getting at one of my tangents, Rosa, and it's not just with policing either. It's with so many different issues in life right now. None of us are ever going to agree on everything, but our willingness to have the conversation with that quote-unquote other side is so crucial in figuring out how to coexist. You're not necessarily going to have your mind changed by that person, but at least gaining a better understanding of where they're coming from is so crucial going forward. And that's fundamentally why I did this. I think, you know, if you're critical of policing, if you're critical of something and you want to change it, you first need to understand it. Well, I thought this book was thoughtful. It was obviously personalized. And I think it was very important to the overall conversation going on here today. She is Rosa Brooks, a law professor at Georgetown who founded the school's innovative policing program and the author of the excellent new book, Tangled Up in Blue, Policing the American City. Rosa, thank you so much for the time today. And thank you for this excellent book. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Trey. And thanks to you for listening. A reminder to check out booksonpod.com to hear every episode and to subscribe to this podcast. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave a five-star rating and review. Helps us grow the show. We'll talk to you next time on Books on Pod. Books on Pod.